Well, we are returning uh, to our series in the Minor Prophets this morning. And so would you please turn with me to Micah, the prophet Micah chapter 5. And we'll pick up uh, with Micah as we are moving quickly through these um, so-called minor prophets, uh, doing an eagle-eye view of them and of their message. So this morning we'll be in Micah uh, chapter 5, verses 1 through 5. Hear now the word of the Lord. Now muster your troops, O daughter of troops. Siege is laid against us. With a rod they strike the judge of Israel on the cheek. But you, O Bethlehem, Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me, one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from old, of ancient days. Therefore he shall give them up until the time when she who is in labor has given birth. Then the rest of his brothers shall return to the people of Israel. And he shall stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, and the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. And they shall dwell secure, for now he shall be great to the ends of the earth, and he shall be their peace. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, by your Spirit, prepare our hearts now to receive your word just read and now preached. Use my feeble and weak words for spiritual gain in our lives. And may you receive all the glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, with so much uh, bad news uh, that exists in the world, it's hard to find any good news at times. And when you hear actual good news, it's, it's hard to believe it. Uh, we were driving uh, to Springfield, Jess and I, uh, this past week for Thanksgiving. And as we were driving, I saw an email notification from the Four States uh, News homepage. It flashed across my phone. And the subject line said, Rangeline Bridge is now open. And I thought, there's no way. That's too good to be true. I haven't driven there yet, but I, I do believe it. I, I think it is open. But truly, we're, we're surrounded by bad news all the time. We can't escape it. And it's, it's especially hard as we see every day, every week. There's a new example of, of the moral and spiritual and the, the utter decline uh, that's facing our country. Uh, census killings, the continued sexual uh, revolution, and, and the transgender movement, and all of these things that are affecting uh, so many people, and especially our, our children, are, are not left unaffected by this. And so it can be easy to, to grow completely discouraged by, by everything that's, that's going on and that's happening. And we can, we can wonder and we can doubt if there's any good news at all. We can go grow weary as Christians, but we should never get to the point of complete despair. And that's why Sunday morning is so important, because it's a, a proclamation and it's a reminder that there is good news. And that's why I'm, I'm always going to preach the gospel every Sunday. We, we, we never graduate from the gospel. And if, there, there, if there's ever a Sunday where I don't preach the gospel, I want you to come up after the service and you tell me, Levi, you didn't preach the gospel today. Because we need to hear the gospel. We need to hear the good news. We need to be reminded of it daily, constantly. We need to be reminded of Jesus and who he is. He is the gospel. He is the good news. And that's the goal of this series. You'll remember we, we talked about the, the first goal of this series in the Minor Prophets was to see how each of these prophets, though there are 12 distinct 
individuals and books, they're all telling one unified story that points to Jesus. And the second goal following that is, is to learn more about who this Jesus is and what he has done to learn about this Messiah and this King who was promised. This good news that, that he is uh, the one who was to come. And so that's what we're going to look at today. You know, years pass, uh, times change, but human nature stays the same. And so we can despair of our own current uh, society and culture and the place and time that we live in, the significant societal and the moral decline. But that's, that's nothing new. And God's people have faced this uh, throughout the centuries, throughout the ages. They, they face the same trials and doubts and struggles and hardships that we do at times. And so let's, let's consider then, uh, remember the, the time period that we're in. We're, we're now in the prophet Micah, we're moving our way through, but, but now we're, we're uh, still in the 8th century. Uh, the northern kingdom of Israel is, is, uh, uh, is facing imminent destruction. And the southern kingdom of Judah was, was in heavy decline. And so God's people were in the midst of, of such a, a nation and a culture and a society. In the midst of severe and total spiritual and, and moral collapse. And we, we've looked already at, at this in the series. We saw in Hosea how uh, God's people, uh, how this people's uh, spiritual idolatry, it was, it was uh, compared to and related to adultery. They had forgotten the Lord their God and they had, uh, they had been consumed with the worship of idols and other gods and pagan gods from other countries. In Joel, we, we saw that the day of the Lord was this day of judgment, a very fierce judgment that would bring about a total destruction of all wickedness. In Amos, we saw how God required perfect and complete obedience to his law and how God's people of every age have fallen woefully short of that standard. And because of the spiritual and moral decline of God's people, this judgment was upon them. And Micah picks up on that theme. He begins this section we just read in that first verse where he, he says, Siege is laid against us. With a rod they strike the, the judge of Israel on the cheek. See, the enemy was at the gate. It was, it was right at their doorstep. And it seemed hopeless. It seemed all, that all was lost. Is there any hope? Is there any good news? It is with this backdrop of, of judgment uh, and despair that these minor prophets, they're painting, uh, painting these portraits of the king. Hosea showed us that theme first when he, he uh, promised and prophesied of this coming Messiah who was going to be a king like David, the people uh, that they would return to him, that he would redeem and restore them. And then Joel picked up on the scene. He showed how the day of the Lord was a day of, of fierce judgment against wickedness. But for those who have called upon the name of the Lord, for those who have, who have put their trust in God's Messiah, it would be a day of mercy and joy. Amos showed us how God would raise up the fallen house of David and that this, this, uh, uh, this house of David, this king, he would be the savior of, of all mankind. And that this would be the sovereign work of God alone, that he would accomplish the salvation of his people. And so now, as we turn to Micah, we, we learn more about this king who is to come. And we learn specifically that he is both a shepherd and a king. He's the coming shepherd king. And this is wonderful, comforting, good news. 
for God's people. As God's people, they looked all around. They saw the spiritual and, and the moral uh, decline and decay of their society. They looked beyond the gates and they saw the enemy approaching that would bring destruction to their city and their nation. They could find comfort in this promise of the coming shepherd king. And so for our time this morning, I want us to look at these two aspects of, of who Jesus is. That he's both a shepherd and a king. And we'll follow the order of the text. And so first, let's consider then what it means that Jesus is a king. We see that he is a king in this well-known uh, prophecy in our passage beginning in verse 2. Look back there with me. It says, But you, O Bethlehem, Ephrathah, uh, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient days. This coming Messiah, he's going to be a king. He will be the ruler of God's people. His coming forth is, is from old, from ancient days. And this is the prophecy that Matthew quotes as he's building his, his case at the beginning of his gospel account of, of the kingship of Jesus as he relates to King David and the new and better David. And he, he quotes uh, from this passage in his gospel account. Uh, Matthew, he, he gives the account of, of Herod who asked, this uh, very specific question to the chief priests and the scribes. He, uh, Herod uh, asked them where the Messiah or where the Christ is to be born. And they gave him a very specific and precise response. Because the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem, just as Micah prophesied in our passage. And so let me read this, this section from Matthew's Gospel, in chapter 2. Which says, uh, now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and the scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judea, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. When we read that passage, it can seem so odd to us that Herod, so-called the Great, would become troubled. By the birth of a baby boy. That word troubled, it has its, its basic meaning in, in something being shaken. And, and so we get that idea of, of being shaken to the core, of trembling, having weak knees. And in a sense, we could, we say, we could say that Herod was, he was uh, shook to the core. How can this be? How can he be so scared of a, a little child? Because he knew, he understood who this child was. It wasn't just any child. It was the king of kings, the Lord of lords, the ancient of days. This is the one who was born in Bethlehem that day. The words of the prophet were being fulfilled. He was from the little town of Bethlehem, just like his father David. We know from Luke's gospel account that Joseph brought Mary and, and uh, he, he brought his family or Mary at that point. To Bethlehem, because Joseph was of the household and lineage 
of David. And so, as we begin to compile all these connections, we, we see how intricate these prom- uh, promises and prophecies were of this coming Messiah. Hosea promised that the Messiah would be a king like David. Amos prophesied that God would raise up the booth of David, referring to his household. And so now, the time has come. And Jesus was born in Bethlehem, the city of David. And God had fulfilled his promises. The lineage of David had been restored in the birth of this king. who was none other than the Son of God incarnate. As we confessed earlier together from Philippians, God in the flesh. These minor prophets then each painting their own portrait, yet are all telling the same story of the coming Messiah. And this should lead us to such a confidence in our God and in his word, which has never failed and never will. But let's consider what it means that Jesus is king. Jesus was born in Bethlehem, fulfilling the words of Micah regarding the location of his birth. But what about the content of his person and his work that he has done and the office that he holds? What does it mean that he is king? Christ the king, Christ as king, that that should be very familiar to us. That phrase. What does it mean? Our text gives us a, a snapshot of what this means. And as we look through all of scripture, we see more and more about uh, who Jesus is, how he fulfills this office as our king. We see in our text that he's the ruler of Israel, uh, the ruler of God's people. And what, a, what would it be like to have godly rulers? If this is who, who Jesus is. He is the ruler of his people. And as a ruler, he he creates for himself. He calls out for himself and he protects for himself a specific people. We saw this a couple weeks ago when we looked at Amos chapter nine and and how uh, James, the leader of the church there in Jerusalem, he, he quoted from Amos in his speech in Jerusalem there in Acts chapter 15. And the passage in Amos uh, said how God would raise up the booth of David. And it says that this booth of David, this line of David, this household of David, this king David, he would possess the remnant of all mankind. That is, this is what Jesus will do as the new and better David. He has called unto himself a people from every nation. You and me and all of God's people have been called to himself. Or as James says in Acts, he says, God visited the nations to take from them a people For his name. Let's just sit there for a moment. Christ as king. Who is the light of the world. Went into the kingdom of darkness. And found every single one of his people. And like he did with Israel. Leading them out of Egypt. He destroyed and removed the bonds of our slavery. To sin. He delivered us. And he created us. As a people for himself. First, uh, as Peter puts it in his first letter, he says, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into marvelous light. That is what Christ has done for you, Christian. He is your king. And Christ, as king of his people, he also bestows upon his people all of his benefits. The forgiveness of sins and repentance unto life and and salvation, eternal life, 
Uh, all of these things. Listen again to Peter's words this time as he describes uh, Jesus' kingship. In Acts chapter 5, he's responding to the high priest uh, who's questioning him. And he says, we must obey God rather than men. Why? Because the God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed by hanging him on a tree. But God exalted him as his, at his right hand as leader and savior. To give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. You see, that is, that is what King Jesus does. He has all authority. He has called a people unto himself. And as their leader and as their ruler, he's both willing and able to give them repentance and forgiveness of sins. And in other words, he's able to save. This is the wonderful good news that we have. That we have a God who is both willing and able to save. To a people lost in their sins like Israel in Micah's day. To a people like us. That we know we were dead in our sins and in our trespasses. But God has made us alive through his spirit. We've made, been made alive in Christ. And we have life with him. Christ is king. He, he calls his people to himself. He saves his people from their sins. And we also know that as our king he will preserve and protect us. He is our peace, it says at the end of our passage. We'll get there in a moment. This is what a good king does. He has defeated all of our enemies and we're able to rest in him and have peace and have security in his kingdom. And this is why it is, it's so important to be in Christ, to surrender your life to him. He is our king. He has defeated sin and he's defeated death. Death is the enemy. Only in Christ do you have eternal life. This is the content of Paul's uh, his discussion uh, in that wonderful chapter, 1 Corinthians 15. Uh, in that chapter, he quotes from another section of Hosea, which we were not able to get to and look at previously. But it's this well-known passage where he says, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? And Paul is able to answer that question in the next verse. He says, the sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. See, death is the enemy. Death is unnatural. Death is a result of the fall. And this is not the way it should be. But it is what it's the, the natural state of man in his, in his fallen estate. But Christ has defeated death. And our only hope of life is to uh, surrender our lives to him. And if you have not done so, then I, I beg you and I ask you to give your life to Christ, to surrender, to bend the knee to his kingship, to look to him, to find rest in him. There, there are so many aspects of, of what it means that Christ is King. But I want to continue now and in our time remaining, look at the second half of our passage. Not only does Micah's portrait of Jesus highlight his kingly office, but he also shows us that he is a shepherd. So look back at how uh, Micah continues to describe this, this coming shepherd king in, in verse, uh, verse 4. He says, 
uh, and he shall stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. And they shall dwell secure, for now he shall be great to the ends of the earth, and he shall be their peace. One of the other aspects of Christ's kingship is that he does all things for his own glory and his majesty. This shepherd king, he stands in the strength and majesty of the great name, uh, Yahweh, God's memorial name. And, and even here again, we see another glimpse of how this coming king like David is one and the same with uh, the Lord Yahweh himself. He does these things for his glory, his majesty, yes, but also for our good. We are his flock. He is the good shepherd. And that's what it means that Jesus is our shepherd. He, he knows what's good for us. And we don't know what's good for us because uh, we have scripture that tells us who we are. That describes us as sheep in need of a shepherd. Lost without him. Uh, I'm always reminded of this, this wonderful video uh, that did the rounds on the internet a while ago. Uh, and maybe you've seen it, but it's a, it's a video of this sheep that's stuck in some kind of a crack or a crevice. And his, his hind, legs, hind legs are sticking out and they're just flailing around. He can't do anything to get out of this predicament he's in. And the shepherd comes over. He, he grabs him by the legs and he yanks him out, turns him around, points him in the right direction. And what does the sheep do? Immediately does a 180, sprints back to the crevice and jumps headfirst into it and gets stuck again. That is the perfect. There is not a better example or description of the Christian life than that. But God is good. Christ is our shepherd. He, he protects us. He always picks us back up. He shepherds us. We, we lack sense. We lack understanding. That's what a sheep does. But he guards us. He keeps us secure. He, he gives us peace. He leaves behind the 99. And he goes and finds the one who is stuck. And brings him back home to the fold. That is what it means that Christ is our king. And our shepherd. And if that's true. Then that really is good news. Someone asked me recently why uh, Psalm 23 was so popular, uh, why, why it's the one that uh, everyone always memorizes. And I, I love that question uh, that came up because it perfectly encapsulated everything that I'm trying to say in this message. Why is it so popular? Well, this is why. Because there's no greater comfort or joy to be found than in those words. The Lord is my shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. And because that's true, the next phrase must, must logically flow. If the Lord is my shepherd, then I shall not want. One of the, the problems that uh, Bible translators uh, have and that they run into is when there's such a famous and beloved passage of Scripture, uh, sometimes it's, it's uh, hard uh, to update the language uh, to modern uses. And, th and that's the case here, like in, in Psalm 23. What does David mean when he says he shall not want? It can be uh, uh, easy for us, or we might think that he's simply talking about some kind of uh, unessential uh, desires or, or wants, uh, the way we might desire something for dessert after a meal. 
the way we might desire our sports teams to do well. But that is not what David has in mind. Rather, he is talking about the essentials. He's talking about everything that he needs for faith and for life. And he is saying that because the Lord Jesus Christ is his shepherd, he has everything that he needs. And that's why some translators say, The Lord is my shepherd, I will not be in need, or I lack nothing. Is there any good news left in this broken world? Well, there is. It's the same good news for God's people as they faced siege and destruction. It's the same good news for us today. It is that Jesus is our shepherd and he is our king. He has come. He is here. He is ours. And we lack nothing. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you that not only are you our mighty king who saves and our loving shepherd who protects us and keeps us. We thank you for the work that you've done. Quiet us with your spirit. Cause us to rest in you this day, we pray. Amen.